Well, good morning, Countryside. How are you guys doing today? So glad to see you all. My name is Pastor Marcelo. I'm the youth pastor here at Countryside. And man, am I excited to be here with you guys today, excited to teach God's word, to preach God's word, because this is what I love to do. So thank you all for being here today. Thank you for taking the time. So like I said, I'm the youth pastor here. So I love your middle schoolers and your high school students with my whole heart. We just went to camp a couple of weeks ago, and it was an amazing time, lots of fun. But the best thing about camp camp was seeing students who before camp, you could just see they were going through an extremely difficult time. You know, you could just see like a a darkness around them almost. A lot of them were facing depression, anxiety, even suicidal thoughts. And then to see those same exact students on that first day and how they look on the last day when they gave their life to Jesus, trans- he transformed their life. He filled them with peace and joy, and they had the biggest smile you've ever seen in your life. It's amazing to see with your own eyes what God can do. You see, God is doing huge things in our youth ministry, and he's doing a big thing in our Wednesday night services, and it's only the beginning, and all of that is because of you guys. So thank you guys for everything you do, for your prayers, for uplifting us, and your support. I truly, truly appreciate it. But without further ado, we are starting a brand new series on the book of Jonah. Now, Pastor Glenn will be continuing this series next week. Is anyone excited to hear Pastor Glenn speak next week? Man, I'm excited to hear that, but we're starting the book of Jonah, and you may hear, you know, the book of Jonah, and a lot of us think immediately, oh, that's the book about the guy that got swallowed by that giant fish, right? Well, yes, that is that book, but there's also so much more to Jonah than just that. Now, I was born and raised right here in Pinellas County. I love the beach. I love the water. I love to go fishing. We're praying that red tide away. But if you are born and raised here or even you just lived here for a long time, you know, man, this is like one of the greatest places to live. You know, here in Clearwater, we got beautiful beaches, beautiful water. It's a great time. Well, I remember when I was 13 years old, I wanted to go shark fishing. I grew up fishing in the lake with my dad and in the apartment complex. I'm thinking, man, I want to get out in the water and catch like a big shark. So I told my mom, like, mom, you know, for my 13th birthday, I would really love to go shark fishing. Well, she said, well, shark fishing is very expensive. We couldn't find anything for shark fishing. So she said, you know what we'll do is we'll go on a fishing charter. So we went on this big boat with all these other people, and we went on a fishing charter for the first time. And I can remember we were driving out like really deep, driving for like an hour. We finally get out there, and I say, okay you can drop your lines. So we drop our lines, and as soon as our bait gets to the bottom, it's just like, boom, just fish are just hitting our bait, hitting our bait. We're pulling them up, snapper, grouper. It is an amazing time. There wasn't a moment where the fish stopped biting. We brought in all these fish, and the best part about it is when we got back to the shore, there was a guy there ready to fillet our fish for us. So he filleted our fish, and then he said, listen, if you bring your fish to this place, to this restaurant on the dock, they'll cook it for you. So we did that. We got to eat the fish that we just caught, and it was an amazing time. But from that point on, my mom and I were hooked on fishing. We made it a tradition every single Mother's Day, we always take a fishing charter. So here's a picture of our fishing catch just a couple of Mother's Days ago. Right there, we caught a lot of nice fish. It is a tradition of ours to do that. And not only do I love fishing, my family loves fishing, 
but Jesus also loves fishermen and fisherwomen. We see in the Bible between four, definitely four, to maybe even up to six out of the 12 disciples were actually fishermen before Jesus called them. Now, with all that being said, this book of Jonah has always had a special spot in my heart for that reason. And through studying this book in preparation for today's message, I've found that there's a depth of wisdom here that actually applies directly to you and I's everyday life. Now, I know the Old Testament gets a bad rap by some people. They say, oh, how could a book that's been written in the ancient times apply to me today? But how many of us know that God never changes, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that when he had this book written, he knew it would be read centuries later by you and me to impact our life today? You see, I truly believe that what we can learn from Jonah today has the ability to change the entire trajectory of your life. And our goal in this series is to see ourselves reflected in Jonah. Now, it's easy to read the Bible and just read it like, oh, this is a story about some people that live. But what we tend to do sometimes is we can sometimes judge the people in the Bible and say, oh, how could they do that? Are you kidding me? They don't listen to God when he said that. Oh, they're straying away from God. But you see, it's important for us when we're reading this book to recognize ourselves in this story. You see, the book of Jonah is like a mirror. When we look into it and when we read it, it shows us ourself, some things we may need to work on, some things we can learn from his life in this story. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into Jonah chapter one, verse one through three. If you have your Bible, you can get that out. If not, we got a giant Bible back here on the screen for you. So let's hop in. It says this, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the ports of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray into today's message? Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to speak to your people today, God. Thank you that you are right here in our midst. Your presence is here. Your spirit is here. You have the power to change lives today. We're coming expecting that and thanking you ahead of time for what you're going to do. I ask that you would anoint my words. Use me as a vessel of your love, God. Use me to speak your word boldly and let your word fall on hearts ready to receive from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So before we dive into the book of Jonah, I think it's important for us to get a little bit of a backstory, a little bit of context before we hop in. So Jonah, in your notes, he was known as the reluctant prophet. Now, Jonah was an Israelite. He was part of the people of God. And he was actually a prophet of God at that time. And through tradition, through what we learn about him in this book, is he's known as the guy who is reluctant to do what God said. Now, this city Nineveh that God tells Jonah to go to and to preach against, this city Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the Assyrian nation. And at this time, the Assyrian nation was Israel's worst enemy. 
Assyrians were Israel's worst enemies. This Assyrian nation at that time, they were a nation of warriors. They were known for being brutal. They were known for meeting any resistance to their reign with extreme force, going above and beyond in their brutality. Now, I've met a couple people like this in my life. I don't want to tell you about one, one person I met that just takes things to that next level all the time. So, uh, imagine me, uh, a lot shorter and a lot skinnier, about five foot nothing, 14 years old, and I'm walking into high school for the first time. Now, I don't know if you guys can just kind of picture what that looks like. When you're walking to high school for the first time, you're used to being around like middle school is like 11 to 13, right? You walk into high school, there's 18-year-old grown men that are like D1 football players with full beards, just giant people. So it's a little bit intimidating. And I was walking through high school for the first time like, man, I don't know who to talk to. I don't know who to sit with. And I get into gym class and they're doing this, this orientation and I don't know anybody so I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, well, let me just scope it out a little bit. And I saw this group of kids playing a game on their phone. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go over there and sit with them. So we all started playing the same game. And I don't know if you guys remember this game. Uh, it's a game called Flappy Bird. Now, basically, this game is like a game where you tap your phone, and this bird kind of jumps through little pipes, right? Well, this game was known for being the most frustrating game of all time. Actually, the developer of the app took it out of the app store because of the frustration that it caused and people caused people to lash out. Well, we're all sitting there playing this game called Flappy Bird, and this kid sitting next to me is like, hey, do you mind if I play it on my phone? So I'm like, sure. I gave him my phone, starts playing. He got so frustrated that he couldn't get past this level he picks up my phone and throws it across the gym, down the bleachers, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, who are you? Why would you do that? You don't, we don't even know each other. Well, it turns out that that kid actually became my best friend throughout all of high school, believe it or not. And that was just a little bit of a foreshadowing of the type of guy he was. He was always the guy to take things to that next level. But that's what the Assyrians were known for. They were this nation who would just go above and beyond to be extra brutal. And this is what God says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now that brings us to the first point today in your notes God will often ask you to do things you don't want to do. God will often ask you to do things that you simply don't want to do. God, think about this for a second. God is literally asking Jonah to go to the enemy's country, to their biggest city, and say, hey, God said he's going to burn this place to the ground. Now, I know it's kind of easy for us to judge Jonah and be like, man, if God told you to do something, bro, you need to go and do it, which is right, but... Think about it. If God asked you to do the same thing, how many of you would feel a certain type of way about it? Like, I don't really know if this is what you want me to do. See, how many times do we feel like, man, I don't want to do what God's called me to do, even for things that are much easier than going and preaching against an entire city of people? Just a few weeks ago, like I said, we were at youth camp. It was an amazing time, tons of fun, lives transformed. But if you've ever been to youth camp, you know you can get pretty tired. You can get pretty worn out. So it was Wednesday night. 
We had a great day. We were playing games, and we went to our service, and we're doing altar ministry, and we're praying over all these students just for a long time, just, just seeing God do amazing things. And eventually, the service ends, and we go back to our cabins, and it's time to go to sleep. So we get back, and I'm ready to go to bed. But of course, the high school, the high school guys were not ready to go to bed. So they were playing around, they were having a good time. We, we did some wrestling, we were joking around, and eventually it finally gets to like 1.30 in the morning. And I'm thinking, man, it's, ready for, it's time for bed, guys. I gotta wake up in the morning, I gotta preach in the morning, I gotta preach tonight, like I need at least a few hours of sleep. So after battling with them, they finally decide, okay, it's time, let's turn off the lights, let's stop talking. I'm like, okay. So I get into my bed on this little tiny mattress, and I pull my covers over my face, take a deep breath, and close my eyes. Now, as soon as that happens, I hear, Pastor Marcelo. <laughs> With my eyes still closed, he goes, are you awake? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I really need to, I need to talk to you about something. I'm just like, okay. So I got up out of bed, and I go and I get to talk to this guy. He was a high school guy, and he sits down in front of me, and he's literally visibly shaking and trembling, and he's telling me about this experience that he had with Jesus at the altar in prayer that night. He began to tell me about how Jesus answered a prayer that he'd been praying for and how he felt like God was calling him into full-time vocational ministry. And I was able to talk to him and encourage him and pray for him. And thank God I got up out of that bed even though I didn't want to. You see, sometimes God has things for us to do that he's calling us to do that we simply don't want to do. So what is that thing for you? What is God calling you to do that you don't want to do? You know, maybe he's put it in your heart to start serving somewhere in the church. But you think, man, I'm just so busy. I don't have time to do this. Oh, oh they don't even want me there. You know, they've got it covered. They, they've got this all figured out. Or I'm, I'm unqualified to do this thing. And the excuses go on and on and on. Or maybe God is calling you to make some time for your family. You're thinking, man, I really need to make some time for my family. Maybe, you know, God's calling you to set up a family night once a week where you have family dinner. You think, oh, I don't, I don't know if we have time to do that. Or, you know, I don't even know if my family will show up or if they even will want to do that at all. But what I want us all to know is that it may be one of those things, but God may be calling you to do something else. But the important thing is God is calling every single one of us to do something. God is calling every single one of us as followers of Jesus to, at the very least, become more like his son Jesus every single day, to spend time in his word and to pray. God is calling all of us to do something. But that brings us to our second point. You can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. You can always find a boat that is sailing in the wrong direction. Let's pick up our story in verse three. But Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. You see, God asked Jonah to prophesy to his enemies. And he's like, no way. 
Not only am I not going to Nineveh, I'm not going anywhere near Nineveh. Matter of fact, I'm going to sail in the opposite direction all the way to Tarshish. Now, here's what we have to realize. When God calls us to do something and we know it in our heart, what we will see is there's an enemy out there who wants to send you another boat. He wants to lure you away from your calling of God and lure you to different things. You see, I, can, I saw this in my life, one of the most evident ways, looking back, at the time I didn't know, but hindsight is 2020. When I was 20 years old, my wife Danica and I had been married for about two years at this point, and we were struggling to get by. We were both in school full-time, both going to college. She was working as a nanny, and I was working part-time in the insurance industry. I had gotten my insurance license, started selling small group health insurance and Medicare and all that good stuff, and we are doing all we can to provide for ourselves. Like, there was no extra money to go around. We gave ourselves each $10 a month of spending money. That is all we could afford. Those $5 coffees at Starbucks were a no-go for us at that time. Well, I got a call from Pastor Glenn, and he offered me a position to work 10 hours a week here at this church serving in the middle school ministry to help out on Sunday mornings and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, if I, if I do this, I have to quit my other part-time job, and I don't know if we can even afford to do that. So I'm thinking about it, and I'm praying about it, and then what do you know, the next day, I get a call from the largest or one of the largest healthcare organizations in this area. They said, listen, you know, we have a connection here and we really want you to interview for this job. So I go to this interview. They take me up to the top floor of this beautiful building. It's overlooking the water. And they begin to lay out this job for me, all these benefits, this salary, plus the commission, the company car. And, I'm, and they're like showing me this beautiful building, the beautiful water. And I, I was talking to them, like, listen, you know, I serve in my church, uh, and I'm a middle school leader, and I really, you know, I need some time to serve. And they said, listen, man, if you take this job, you are not going to have any extra time. This is a full-time position. You'll have to drop out of school, come work for us. You cannot be doing the whole church and serving thing. So I left there, and I'm thinking to myself, like, man, what, God, what do you want me to do? I'm praying to him. I'm talking to my wife about it. We're discussing it. I, I talked to some mentors about it. And after doing that, I came to the conclusion, you know, if God is calling me to do this, then he's going to provide a way for me. You know, if God is calling me to do this thing, he will see it through. So I said, you know what? I called back. I said, I'll take the 10-hour position. I don't know how we're going to provide for for everything, but I know that God is going to figure it out. So I called and I accepted the the 10-hour position. And then what do you know? Within a week, I got another call from Pastor Glenn hey, man, a spot opened up. Do you want to be the full-time middle school pastor here? And I'm like, yes. And from that moment, I got the job as a middle school pastor, and I get to live in my calling every single day. I get to love on these middle school students with every single ounce of me. I get to go into a place where I work with people that I love, a a place of fulfillment, knowing that this is what God has called me to do. But you see, the enemy wanted to get me away from my calling. He provided another boat for me, and it looked pretty good. You know, in the world's eye, this is success, right? But God had a plan. You can always find an excuse. If God is calling you to do something, you could always find an excuse. You could always find something else to do. You could even find someone who agrees with you. 
do you really think God wants you to do that? Do you really even think you have time to do that at all? You're just so busy. And this sounds eerily similar to what the snake said in the Garden of Eden to Eve. He said, did God really say that you must not eat of any tree in the garden? You see, the enemy will do anything he can to lure you away from the calling of God on your life. So we go back to our story. So Jonah leaves, and he sails in the opposite direction of where God wants him to go. That brings us to our third point today in your notes. God may send a storm to grab your attention. God may send a storm to grab your attention. We see this in verse four. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. The sailors are freaking out. They're throwing cargo overboard to try to lighten the ship a little bit, but nothing is working. They start calling out and crying out to their so-called gods to say, what is going on here? Please spare us, because they weren't Israelites, but still nothing is working. Finally, the captain of the ship goes down to find Jonah asleep in the boat. Now, this is the youth pastor translation. It said, dude, what are you doing? We are about to die, man. Get up and cry out to whatever God you believe in. Maybe he'll spare us. And they start asking Jonah questions like, man, who are you and what have you done to make God so mad? See this in verse 9 through 10. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. Think about this for a second. This storm on the sea is about to destroy them. It's about to kill all of them. And then they go to this guy and he says, yeah, you know, I worship the God who made the sea. Sorry, it's all my fault. They're probably like, dude, what are you doing? Like, what are we gonna do with you? So we see this in verse 12. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. You see, Jonah is running away from God so hard, so fervently that he is actually hardening his heart towards God and he's willing to die in order to not do what God has called him to do. It's a scary place to be. But God sent this storm to get his attention, to wake him up from his sleep. When my wife and I first got married, we went on our honeymoon on a cruise. It was a seven-day cruise in the Caribbean. It was beautiful. It was amazing. We had a great time until a tropical storm kicked up in the Caribbean. Now, I don't know, you know if you know this or not, but being in the Caribbean during a tropical storm on a cruise ship is not really a fun place to be. So we're on this cruise ship, and the boat is just rocking back and forth. Danica gets super seasick. I mean, chairs are sliding around everywhere. Everywhere you go, the chandeliers are just swaying, and it's just like, it's a nightmare. So we go to the, hotel, or the cruise room, and she's this curled up in the fetal position, super nauseous, super seasick. Like, this is not how we wanted to spend our honeymoon at all. Well, we began to talk to some people and they said, hey, go to the middle of the boat because that's the, the least rocky place to be. So we go to the middle of the boat and everyone else had the same idea too. 
and uh, we see the hot tubs. They're like, man, that, that'd be a good place to go, you know, maybe just sit down, relax in the hot water a little bit, and uh, those are filled as well. So we're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting for a spot to open up, and eventually it does. So we go, we sit down in this hot tub, and we're like, finally, we can relax. Well, as soon as we did that, a couple and their son came into the hot tub. And it's like that awkward moment where like someone comes into a hot tub with you, you like, you don't really know what to say. So we're sitting there like, come on, we just want to be alone a little bit. We're trying to relax a little bit. And these people come in and we both kind of look at each other and say, you know what, let's just make the best of it. So we started talking to this couple and it turns out they were like the sweetest people we could ever meet. They were amazing, definitely a godsend. We had great conversations. Danica was beginning to feel a little bit better, but still seasick. And later that night, we ended up going to one of the shows on the cruise line. And we're walking in to find our seat, and all of a sudden we hear, Danica, Danica. So we look around, and it's that couple from the hot tub. And the lady said, you know, you're telling me, you're telling me about how you were seasick, and you know, I got these little patches that I put behind my ear that I was prescribed from my doctor for nausea, because I knew I was going on the cruise ship, and I have an extra one, and I really feel like I need to give it to you. So she gave it to Danica, and Danica immediately felt much, be- much better, and we were able to enjoy our honeymoon. But you see, God had to show us something there. Sometimes God sends storms in your life to get your attention. Now, what is that storm in your life? You know, maybe, wh- why, why are my relationships going like this? Or, or why are my kids acting out like this? Or why am I facing this problem at work? And when we're in the middle of the storm, it's confusing and it's scary. But there's a difference between going through a storm with Jesus and going through one without him. When we go through a storm with Jesus, it looks a little bit like this. There's a story in the New Testament about the disciples. They go onto the Sea of Galilee. They're trying to get, aside to the other, they're trying to get across the other side, and this giant windstorm picks up. And the Bible says they're rowing and rowing with no avail. They can't get anywhere. They start to freak out a little bit. And they look out in this storm and they see someone walking on the water. They said, what is that? Is that a ghost? And then Peter says, hey, hey, Jesus, if that is you, then call me to come out of the boat and walk to you. So Jesus says, all right, come on. So Peter steps out of the boat and he begins to walk on top of this storm with his eyes fixed on Jesus. But you see, the moment that he took his eyes off of Jesus, he sank immediately. Thank God Jesus was there to pick him up, to pull him back up. But I think this story is telling us something. You see, when you're with Jesus, you have the ability to willingly walk out on top of the storm in your life. But when you're running away from Jesus, that is when you sink. You see, and that's exactly what happened to Jonah. Point number four, Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. We see this in verse 15 through 17. It says, then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a giant fish to swallow Jonah, 
and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah gets thrown overboard. Think about this. Literally, as soon as he's thrown overboard, he begins to sink, and boom, immediately the Bible says the storm stops. Now, these sailors are absolutely amazed. They've never seen anything like this in their entire life. It's a miracle. And they turn away from those so-called gods they were worshiping and trying to pray to, and they turn to the one true God, the God of heaven. And they vowed to serve him, and they offered him a sacrifice right there. And for poor Jonah, this prophet of God, who's running away from God, he's thrown into the sea. And he gets swallowed by this giant fish for three days. Now usually, if you get swallowed by a giant fish, that's the end of the story. You know, we've all seen Jaws, right? That's usually where the story ends. And at this point, people who are reading this book for the first time and don't know the story of Jonah, as soon as they see, oh, this guy got thrown into the sea and he got eaten by a giant fish, they probably think, oh man, that's just how the story ends. You know, that's, that's God's judgment or whatever it is. That's just, that's how it is. But with God, there's always a new beginning. God can always use even our worst nightmares and turn it around for our good. Now, when I was 15 years old, the worst thing that's ever happened to me, my stepdad passed away, and it shook me to the core, like shook my entire life, shook my family's life. We all kind of isolated a little bit, and we all were just brought to this, this, really, this place of despair. And I remember being 15 years old, and I didn't know what to do. So I started to try to fill myself up to make myself feel better with the things of this world, whether it was partying or drinking or whatever these things were that the world said would make me happy. And by doing this for a couple years, I found this stuff did not make me happy at all. It gave me a short moment of happiness, and then I woke up the next day and I felt absolutely worse than I did before because that's what the world does. It gives you a glimpse, a small taste, and then it bites in the end. And by doing this, by living this way, you know, I was brought to the end of myself. But what I didn't know is I needed to be brought to the end of myself in order to see my need for a savior. I saw, man, I can't do this on my own. I need someone to save me up out of this pit. And I gave my life to Jesus and I worshiped him. I said, God, I need your help. I humble myself before you. I know I've sinned. I've fallen short, but God, I need you. And from that moment, I believed in Jesus. I was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with peace and joy and a new life. And I didn't have to satisfy myself with the things of this world anymore because God had already satisfied my soul. And that's what he does. He takes even our worst nightmares, the things that the enemy means for harm in our life, to break us. And he turns it around for good. So that I could see my need for a savior. And he didn't just do that for me, but he did it for the people around me too. That I get the opportunity to share my story, to share my testimony. And I remember when I first went to camp as the middle school pastor, I shared this story about my stepdad passing away. And this girl came up to me after service, said, listen, I was an atheist. I came to this camp because my friends invited me. I just wanted to have fun. But you sharing your story about your stepdad and how he passed away, God spoke to me through your story because my stepdad passed away in the same exact way. And I think that was God, that's God telling me that I am loved by him and I'm giving my life to Jesus today. And that's exactly what she did. That's what God does is he uses these terrible situations and he turns it around 
for his good. God used this terrible situation of Jonah being thrown overboard into this raging sea to turn it around for his good, but also for the good of an entire city of Nineveh as well. Now, I won't spoil the story. Pastor Glenn will be telling us more about this next week, so we're gonna see how God does this. But what the important thing that I wanna take away from this today is that whatever the enemy means for harm in your life, God will always turn it around for good. Even the scariest storms, the most difficult situations, God has a calling on your life. And when God has called you to do something, regardless of how scary it may seem, he will always see it through. So I wanna close with this. You know, we see Jonah gets swallowed by this fish. He's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And people probably thought, man, this is the end of the story for him. We see someone else in the Bible. His name was Jesus, the son of God. God made man, God in the flesh. And Jesus was killed, and he was buried in a tomb for three days. And his disciples and the people who followed him a lot of them probably thought, man, this is it. This is the end of the story. You know, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was gonna come and free us, right? But you see, what these people didn't realize is that it wasn't the end of either of their stories because God had a plan and all of this was part of his plan. None of this caught him by surprise and nothing that you're going through today has caught God by surprise either. You see, because we know that Jesus actually rose to life on the third day through the power of the Holy Spirit, rose to life again after being dead for three days, and he declares, if anyone simply believes in me, you can be saved, forgiven, from brokenness to new life, from death to eternal life with God forever, simply by believing in Jesus Christ and that he has the power to save, by asking forgiveness of your sins and say, you know what, I don't have this all figured out. Jesus, I need you. All you have to do today to receive his forgiveness and new life is to believe in him and accept him. You have been bought and paid for by the perfect blood of Christ. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray out today? Lord Jesus, thank you for every single person here in this room. That they are eternal. They're eternal, God. And we, we, we want you today to please draw your people home, God. Just like when I was 17 years old and I was brought to the end of myself, God, you met me right there. I ask that you would meet people right there where they are today. Meet that person who's, who's struggling or doesn't know what to do or where to go. God, show them the path to take. Give them confidence and boldness to do what you've called them to do, Father. And I also ask that you would draw people home today, people who may not have believed in you until now or people who have questioned you until now. Draw them to you. Draw them to Jesus. Now, if that's you today and you say, you know what? I do believe in Jesus. And I want that forgiveness. And I want to know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to be in eternity with Jesus forever. That opportunity is there for you today. And there's nothing that you can do to earn it or deserve it. It's simply by saying yes, receiving the free gift of grace that has already been bought and purchased on your behalf. All you have to do is open it. 
So if that's you today and you say, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus, what I want you to do is on the count of three, with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, this is a moment between you and God. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Raise it up high with boldness, confidence. God, you see these hands all across this room. You guys can put them down. Now, for the sake of these people who are deciding today to make the best decision they've ever made in their life, I need everybody in here, please repeat this prayer after me. Everybody say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. Thank you for dying for me and help me to live for you from here on out. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give our God, everybody? He is good. We are so thankful for our next generation pastors, aren't you? God is so good. Would you stand with me now to receive your blessing? And as the prayer team comes forward, I wanna encourage you that after this blessing, if you'd like prayer for any reason, come speak to one of our prayer team members. And if you prayed that prayer, for the first time to give your heart to Jesus, we have a book for you. It's a free gift that we would like to give you. It's called A Fresh Start with God to help you on your journey with Jesus. So to receive your blessing now, if you just lift your hearts before the Lord or turn your palms upward in an attitude of receiving, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. I love you, church. We'll see you next Sunday.